0: This is Justin Michael Williams, and welcome to the Kingdom Podcast. I am enough. I am golden bear. I am enough. I am enough. This is for everyone. All beliefs are welcome here. And so it doesn't matter if you call it God, spirit, the universe, crystals, science, or unicorns, you are welcome here. This is our moment to connect to something greater this is our moment to remember how powerful we really are welcome to the kingdom we begin each session with a prayer let's begin god spirit universe all that is all that ever has been and all that ever will be we thank you Thank you for bringing our community together for all these weeks. For those who've been holding down the fort and those who are here brand new, may they be welcomed here in this space of love and connection. So it is. Ashe, Aho, Salam, Amen, Shalom, Satnam, Awen, Om. Thank you. So here we are. Here we are, here we are, Kingdom family. So, <clears throat> You might recognize that Alicia Keys song that I started with. And it's really interesting, right? When you look at that and you look at a lot of love songs that happen in, you know, pop culture. And if you kind of replace the you from being like some, some hot person waiting in your bed to you, which is like the proverbial you and also the you that is the you with the capital Y and the you that is the divine, there's these beautiful devotional songs that come out of them. You know, some people want it all, but I want nothing at all of innate you. You know, the you that is calling us forward to our greater self and a greater world. And this, I think, will really tie in to a lot of what we're talking today about. And I came back for this special session to talk to you about the power, the power of radical self-care. Radical self-care. And I have with me somebody who many of you know, who is like, to me, one of the most important people in our world right now. I mean, literally has created massive amounts of change for millions, literal millions of people all around the world in the past 16 months throughout the pandemic. And she is Shelley Tigelski. And so Shelley Tigelski is an author, speaker, meditation teacher, And one of my favorite uh, kind of titles of hers is a self-care activist. And many of you know that Shelly and I uh, created the Liberation Experience together. We're writing a next book together, but we're not here to talk about next books yet because Shelly has a book that is coming out this week called Sit Down to Rise Up, How Radical Self-Care can change the world. You'll notice right there at the top that President Joe Biden endorsed her book, which is a big deal, as well as many celebrities and change makers all around the world. But it's not even about the celebrities or this or that. What this is about is how we can actually learn to care for ourselves and care for others in a way that takes us forward and evolves us towards our goals and a better world. And so I wanna welcome here Shelly, Shelly, Shelly. Hi. Oh my God. I'm so grateful to have you here, Shelly. Thank you for taking the time uh, to be here.
1: I'm so grateful to have you in my life every single day.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, going on, I could go on and on and on and on about like all the professional things about why I love you, but just more importantly, just your heart, you know, and your spirit and who you are and who you've been, not just in my life, but in the lives of so many people and beyond just what you do, really who you are as a being is a gift to all of us. So thank you uh, for being amazing and silly and, and magical (laughs) and all of those things. Oh
1: my God. You know how good I am about taking compliments. I know. I was like, I
0: know how much you love compliments. So let me, let me go on here. So. Your book is, and I'll say this to you all, pre-order it and get it. It comes out October 26th. Did I get that date right? Yes. October 26th. Yes.
1: October 26th. Yep. That's right. October Tuesday.
0: 26th. So just in a couple of days, pre-order this book. Shelley's book is incredible. Incredible. I have so many friends who've written books and I've read a lot of my friends' books and some of them are okay. You know, I'll just leave it like that. Shelley's book is incredible, okay? Incredible. And I want you all to know that when you read this book, it will change your life. So, Shelley, 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 Shelley. Mm-hmm. Your book, I think one of the things that I just want to like name right up front, right, is the Sit Down to Rise Up. And you talk about radical self care. Before we, because we could break down this title in so many ways why do you use those words in particular radical self-care
1: well i think when you look at the term self-care on its own it's really been hijacked by the industrial wellness complex right by beauty brands and by people trying to sell you green juices and diet plans etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. and the reality is is that self-care really was born out of a need for survival You know, we relate it now to a point where self-care is for people who are maybe not in survival mode and they're in the mode of like, I need to thrive. I need to be the best version of myself, right? Or maybe we relate it to people who are the haves and can afford uh, different types of what we deem to be self-care measures. And so the radical self-care is about a couple of things. First, it's it's about reclaiming the roots of self-care Which were born in the civil rights movement and born out of the women's liberation movement. Um, You know, it it means that we can use self care as a means to um, self preserve ourselves, right? Self preservation as a means for survival, as a means for community building. And it's certainly not uh, a, a matter of self-indulgence. I think that a lot of people today think, oh, self-care, self-care, it's, it's self-indulgence, it's selfish. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that if you really look to the roots of what self-care is, it's very deeply based in exactly the opposite of that. Right. So that's part one. And I think the second part is that it's, it's about redefining uh, what self-care actually means right and redefine it beyond the self that's really the premise of the book right the premise of the book is how do we move from the me the inner journey of me to the we which is communal to the us which is movements and there's like this through line that self-care actually is a, a really big part of it's it's sort of the backbone of the ability to move from the self from the inner work to the outer world, to how we show up in the outer world and the social justice work and the reform that we wanna see in this world. And there's a really deep and meaningful connection. And so I want us to move beyond just the self and move into communal care and understand that self-care is not individualistic, it's actually a communal pursuit.
0: See, this is amazing. And I love this, that like goes into the second half of your subtitle, which is how radical self-care can change the world. You know what I mean? And when we move into that us, and I also think in even redefining self-care and redefining self, when you look at caring for yourself and you think of the self and, you know, many people here at the kingdom have watched Dan Siegel and are familiar with Dan Siegel's work Mm -hmm. when with the we, you know, when we look at the self as just me in this individual body, then when we're taking care of ourselves, we think it's selfish because it's just about me. But when you think of yourself right. as a being that is connected to other beings, then any one part of that connection that is impaired or that is not well impacts the whole system. And so Correct. That, is that what you mean by self-care changing the world?
1: Yeah. I mean, that really, it, it's exactly that. It really does lean on, and, and you and I and Dan have talked about this, you know, it, it's, 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 understanding that we are all interconnected. We're all interconnected. One of your beautiful practices, Justin, that I know I like to um, give you uh, a little rise, you know, I I kind of like, just because we have this sibling relationship, I like to jab you for, but I love your practice of, um, you know, blessing the food that you eat before you eat it. And the reason I really actually do admire and appreciate that about you is because you take a moment to, you know, look at this plate. And I imagine, you know, I imagine in that moment and when I watch you do it, it sort of reminds me as well to do this as well, that when you look at like the food on your plate, right, let's say you're eating breakfast and you've got like eggs and potatoes and avocado on your plate, right? No nuts because Justin's allergic to nuts. Everybody needs to know that. So never send him anything with nuts. Um, but if you look at your plate and you think to yourself, how many hands have touched this plate? Like Not like literally touched the plate, but actually, yes, the people who had to prepare the food, but also the people who had to, um, you know, ship the food and the people who had to pick the avocado from the tree and then the person that had to like you know, plant the avocado tree and nurture it. And the person that, you know, had to purchase the land and to till the land to make sure the soil was right for the avocado tree. And then what about the plate that your, that um, you know, food is on, like who had to make, create that plate? You know, was it made in a factory? Was it made by hand? Was it, is it, you know, a disposable plate? And just, you start to think about that. And then you think about how did those people even get on the, get to be on this planet? you know, to be in that position to do that thing Well, somebody had to, you know, give birth to them and they were raised in a community and they were raised in a family. And, and so my point is, is that we're all interconnected. Every single thing that we do from crawling into our, our, our bed at night, you know, uh, and, and to reading this, you know, this book, hopefully, you know, uh, the pages that are on it and the printer and the graphic design and everything that was on it is very much beyond just the scope of an inanimate object. It's yeah. like so many hands touched it. And so when we think about that and we frame it as like ourselves, how many hands have touched us? You know, how many people had the, um, the, the, the sort of uh, in, inspired us and have um, just moved us? and shaped us and like molding clay, right? Have, have have contributed to who we have become as a person and will continue to contribute to who we are as a person. And, and, and look at all the people that we've contributed to, you know, that we've helped shape their lives. So I think that there's, you know, we're definitely beyond just the self if we really take a moment to think about it. And we recognize that therefore, if we really want to see the best version of the world in our lifetime. And we really have to start with the best version of ourselves that we have to understand. There's this inherent connection. So the best version of the world starts with the best version of ourselves.
0: Yes. 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 In so many ways. And I, I love this, Shelley. I, and I can go on and on about this forever. And I also think one of the other things that's really amazing about your book, okay. Is the stories that you tell in this book are riveting. I mean, they're really, even knowing you for all this time, you know, and having so many personal one-on-one moments, like reading the stories in this book, I'm like, what? You know and I Remember when I called you, I was like, I didn't know this happened, you know? And there's a story that you open up with right in the very beginning of the book about you being kidnapped as a little girl. And this story has so much to it. So I'm wondering if you'd be willing, I know it's like a little spoiler for the beginning of the book, but tell like the briefest version of this story because I have so much around that I want to unpack around this story. So yeah, you all are not so, going to believe okay. this story. Okay, it's wild. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So when I was two years old, um, my family was newly immigrated here to the U.S. from Jerusalem, which is where we uh, immigrated from. And uh, we moved to Brooklyn, New York, to Ocean Parkway, for those of you who are familiar with Brooklyn. And um, my mother had to go get a driver's license at the DMV. And my two older brothers were already in school. I was two years old, so too young to really, you know, go to school. We couldn't afford preschool. My mom was still, you know, couldn't even speak the language, really. So definitely wasn't going to go out and seek employment at that time. Uh, And my dad was at work. Uh, I basically was kidnapped from the DMV right under my mother's nose. Um, My mother was not being negligent. She was getting eye exam,
0: right? (laughs)
1: I was getting an eye exam, which she was really nervous about. Like imagine having to study for an eye exam because you don't know the letters of the English alphabet. So you like are worried that they're going to not give you a driver's license because of that. So my mom was like really intently focusing on, um, getting the eye exam. And I, I would venture to say that I probably wandered off because I was that type of kid that was kind of like, Oh, let me go explore and see what's going on out there. You know? So I probably like wandered off or meandered off and, um, I was picked up by a couple and they just walked out with me and there was a woman sitting in the DMV waiting room that uh, recognized me from the time that I was sitting in the waiting room with her and my mother and realized, wait a minute, that's not her, mother. That's not who she came in with. There's something wrong here. And so in that moment, she had to make a very quick decision and she had three choices to make, right? The first it, choice that she had to make uh, or the first uh, choice available to her was that she uh, could do nothing, which, by the way, is a choice. Every day that we choose to do nothing, it's an act of choice. She could have ran to find my mother, which was a safer choice, right, and told my mother, hey, look, this thing just happened, and you need to go run after your daughter, or she could could have just started running after or walking after these individuals, these perpetrators. And she decided to do the latter. She in that moment had the agency or the sense of agency to um, be a good Samaritan, rise up, show up for me, a perfect stranger, not knowing if her own life would be in danger. Uh, And and how far it would go. Right. Because she uh, these people didn't go into a car and like she would write down a driver's license number, a driver's uh, tag number. But she actually um, wound up following them for like several city blocks and she saw them walking into a building and then she ran back to the DMV and by then all hell had broken loose. Of course, the the police force was already there. The NYPD was there. My mother was crying. She doesn't speak any English. So she's like trying to explain in like charades that her little girl, you know, and pigtails and the whole nine yards. And, um, and then this woman just comes in sort of like through the police cars, grabs my mother's hand and says, I know where your daughter is and starts to pull my mother. And instinctively, my mother started to run with her and the police followed. And they wound up back in the building and they shut down the building and they went through floor after floor after floor after floor. And I think on like the second to last floor, and it was a very tall New York c- City building. Uh, they, My mother was already losing all hope and she was just hysterically crying and the doors to the elevator opened and I was there in this woman's arms, about to leave the building perhaps, right? So in that very moment, my mother found me at the right time and I jumped into my mother's arms and I asked her, why are you crying? <laughs> And I had no idea that I was even in like, you know, harm's way. Like I actually wanted to introduce her. She said to my new friend, you know, I was like, look, I found a new friend. You know, she's so wonderful. Um, And I, you know, did regressive therapy to try to see if I was actually um, uh, traumatized from this experience. You know, is there any trauma that's underlying that sort of affected me for, for the rest of my days that I'm not aware of? And there was literally no trauma whatsoever that I had experienced or that I could tap into. So for me, it wasn't a traumatic experience. Obviously for my mother, it was a traumatic experience. And growing up, you know, this story was told again and again, over and over again at like dinner parties and, you know, to friends. And every time my mom would want to like create like a shock value type of a great story to tell somebody. And um, I heard it so many times. And most of the time people's reaction when they hear the story, is first and foremost like empathy for my mother like oh my god that's the worst thing i could ever think of going through like you know i feel so bad for you like how did you deal with it the second thing is people have empathy for me and like what i went through even though i don't remember it and you know very rarely would somebody actually say like wow you know like this woman what an amazing superhero this woman just like appeared out of nowhere, like an angel, you know, and, and made sure that you, uh, were out of harm's way and the entire course of your life could have been completely different, right? It, it could have gone super sour. Like I could have you know, lost my life or, you know, been raised by a whole different family. Like who even knows? Um, and, And I actually honed in my entire life on this story of this woman. I realized that this is not my story. This is a story of the Good Samaritan. And I oftentimes questioned whether I, if I was in the same position, would do the same thing. Would I have the courage and the bravery to to stand up for what's right and to do the right thing, which is sometimes the most difficult thing to do. Um, And I realized that um, I didn't believe that I would and i wanted to change that and so I, I wanted to make sure that i could tap into that uh good samaritan role and always show up and it wasn't until i really you know started to to delve into some deep work in inside of myself you know and with the help of guidance of teachers and 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 community that i realized that um you know, we could all cultivate that within ourselves. Yeah.
0: My gosh. Let's just take a breath with that story, everybody. (gasps) You know? Yeah. (laughs) So I think like when I first read the story, because that's how I got it in the book, you know, was when I first read your book. It's like the opening story of the book and you all, the rest of the stories in the book. I mean, it's really just that they're all so good. And when you go, when I was reading that story, I remember my first thought was to you, oh my God, thank God Shelly got found. And then I did think about your mom. Oh my gosh, her poor mom. Like, can you imagine this happening? And I didn't until you drove the point home in the book of like, no, the real focus, the heroine of the story is this woman who got up and re- chased the people right away without saying anything. If she would have went and got your mom or told one of the employees what happened, game over. Do you know what I mean? How yeah. would they have found you up in the top of this building? you know, a few blocks away, they never would have found you there. I mean, unlikely, you know? And so this good Samaritan concept is, um, really big deal. I want to know, and you said this a little bit, but I want to know how did that story, cause I know you say this is not your story. You weren't traumatized by it because you didn't have an experience of trauma in the moment. How does that story impact you even today?
1: So I, I, you know, think about um, in moments where I see other people suffering or I see a grave injustice in the world. And I just hearken back to, and I sort of channel this, this woman, this good Samaritan. And I say, okay, I need to like emulate that. I need to become her, you know, I need to be her. I am her. And I need to essentially, um, you know, just rise up. And, and not think about myself in that moment, but think about what am I gonna do about this suffering? What am I gonna do about this grave injustice? What am I gonna do about um, this, this thing that is causing great fear or turmoil uh, to me or to the world? And then, you know, sort of I layer it on with a different, with a different question uh, immediately. And that really came through my, my uh, training in, in meditation, in Metta, uh, M-E-T-T-A, um, and that is, um, you know, how do I come from a place of love? How do I always come from a place of love? So just as a recap, the questions are, you know, once you identify what you're feeling, right. Cause you always, as Justin loves to teach and does so well, right. Like name it to tame it. Um, and So we name it's attainment, we label it, and that's the first part. We recognize what we're feeling, right? And then we pause for a minute. We have this moment of pause, and we can say, okay, this is what I'm feeling. I'm going to accept it. I'm not going to judge myself for whatever it is that I'm feeling. But now I have an opportunity to take it a step further rather than being, you know, sort of mired in these feelings of fear or anger or, you know, any other type of emotion that I'm feeling or identifying at the time. Rather than getting mired in that and like going through this rabbit hole, right? Where you're like sinking lower and lower and lower and feeling like, oh, I'm, I feel so hopeless, I can't do anything. I immediately default into what can I do about it? And how do I come from a place of love?
0: What can I do about it? And how can I come from a place of love? This is really good because this shifts the actions that you would even choose to take. You know, the questions that we end up asking ourselves shift the actions that we that we choose to take. This is a really good question, Shelley, about everything going on in our lives these days. So there's there's another big theme in your book that, you know, is underlined in a lot of different places, but um, there's something that I've even heard you talk about often, which is, and it's something that I've never heard anybody else say, called kind sight. Mm. And, um, you know, this, this sight aspect and vision and how we're seeing the world, how we see self-care, how we see ourselves, yeah. how we see, 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 see. So yeah. I'd love for you to expand on Kindsight a little bit and, and what is it? Because it's really an amazing book. Yeah.
1: I'm going to read a quote from the book. Let me read this to you. So Kindsight, which is the title of chapter six. And actually, I didn't invent this word. I need to give credit to Karen Salmonson, and she's a psychologist. And she says, view your life with kind of sight. Stop beating yourself up about things from your past. Instead of slapping your forehead and asking, "What was I thinking?" Breathe and ask yourself the kinder question: "What was I learning?"
0: What page is that on?
1: That's page uh, ninety-five. I need my readers because <laughs> I'm getting old and I can't see.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know what, Shelley? There's. I, can you read that last sentence again?
1: Sure instead of slapping your forehead and asking what was I thinking breathe and ask yourself the kinder question. What was I learning?
0: That is fucking huge. What was I? Yeah. learning? Yeah. And is this, is yeah, this kind site, is that
1: what it is? Yeah. So that, uh, that is a quote that I read from Karen Samuelson like years ago. And I, um, it stuck with me. It was like one of, you know, I love quotes. I like Um, you know, keep them kind of like in my notes on my phone. Yeah, you're a quote. And (laughs) I am, I am, but but I but I extrapolate from them, right? So I find a quote that I like, and then I like delve deeper into like, okay, what is the meaning of this quote, and how does it relate to my life, like right now in this moment? And so the entire chapter was really, you know, here this is chapter six in the book, which is the completion of the first section. The book is written in three sections: the me section part two is the we section and part three is the us section right and so this is the 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 preceding chapter to moving into the we into community and it's really about um sort of reflecting back on this period when i sort of was able to pivot beyond myself beyond my like woe is me mentality and move into wisdom is me right so that's my quote like instead of saying woe is me we got to say wisdom is me wisdom is me. And I, I learned so much about myself, you know, through divorce and through uh, being a single mother and through health issues and um, just mistake upon mistake upon mistake. And and rather than getting down on myself and being like, God, I'm such a screw up. My life is just taking all these wrong turns. And I could have really just thrown my hands in the air at that moment and i look back at myself now and i think god where did i pull in that strength from to just not give up because i actually think that in this moment um you know as i read through my own story because i had to like read it for my audiobook um i thought Oh my god! I don't even know if I could at this age go through that right now. You know, I think I'd just be like, "Oh hell no, I'm out." You yeah, get it. Like, I
0: know. I think of that. I think of so that too. That when people read my it. when people read my bio or when I tell the story of like growing up in a home with like gunshot holes on the outside, but I was like. If somebody shot a gun in here right now, I would be, like, so
1: like, not okay.
0: And, like, that happened all the time when I was a kid. You know what I mean? So, anyway, it's just crazy. Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. And it was, like, yeah. not a thing. You're like, it's, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I think, I think it's really, you know, a matter of um, just... Um, yeah i think we we wind up and and i think this this harkens back to a lot of what you and i talk about and we teach together which is about conditioning yeah. and i think that as time goes by like we kind of layer on additional lenses that we see the world through and we have more labels that are assigned to us et cetera, et cetera. and when we're younger we 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 you know we have some of course that we're born into um but i think part of life is sort of like you're born without uh, these, these labels or without the recognition that you have them. And then you sort of accumulate them over time. And then you get to this pivot point in life where you're like, wait a minute, I am not those labels, I
0: need those things. Uh, you know,
1: and you start to shed those layers. Right. It's similar to, um, sort of where I got to with this nomadic life that I'm living similar to you at this point where I felt like I spent half of my life, like accumulating stuff. And now I'm spending the second half of my life just giving stuff away and getting rid of stuff. You know, it's like a shedding.
0: This is amazing. You know, the the concept of sight, you know, really takes itself through a lot of your story. And I love this uh, idea of kind sight and looking at our story from a kinder perspective and asking what it is that we were learning instead of being so hard on ourselves. And, but I also know that there's something that surprises people when they find out that you also have a, a condition that has something going on with your vision um and your mm-hmm. would you mind talking to us about that
1: yeah so first of all i want to say that i have nothing wrong with my vision i have something wrong with my eyesight thank you Eyesight and vision vision, very different things yes and i also look the hard way um so and i actually feel like i've gotten more vision even though my eyesight has gone <laughs> down the, the tubes um so yeah so i was diagnosed when i was 27 or 26 turning 27 my son was two years old um, barely two years old with an, a condition, an autoimmune condition called uveitis, and the type of uveitis that I have is called pars planitis, which is an autoimmune condition of the eye. And uh, in about eighty percent of people, it also is sort of like a byproduct of another autoimmune disease, so multiple sclerosis or ankylosing spondylitis, or even you know HIV or AIDS. And um, it 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 starts to attack your eyes you know your brain tells your eyes that there's an infection there that isn't there and then of course when there's an infection in your body what happens your brain says oh okay cue the white blood cells let's send them into your eye and so I wind up with a ton of white blood cells in my eyes I'm 27 and um I wake up one morning and I am blind in both eyes I cannot see a thing and I would describe it a whiteout imagine like you're when you're in a plane and you suddenly go through a cloud and like you can't see anything so that you can't blink it away like that's essentially what i was seeing and um it was scary it was so frightening because i didn't know what i had i went to sleep the night before and i could see just fine and i also didn't know if i would get my sight back yeah so I wound up you know, going through uh, to many doctor's appointments, to many specialists, having many tests done, uh, trial and error, found out that I have uh, uveitis, and I was told by my ophthalmologist at a very good eye hospital uh, that uh, I really had this distinct possibility of, of being blind before the age of 40. And so when somebody tells you something like that, right? Like when somebody tells you that you have uh, 10 years to live or that you are gonna be blind in like 15 years or that, um, you know, just something has a timeline, right? Which by the way, which is very silly because life has a timeline, Yeah. but we think we're guaranteed forever that we're guaranteed tomorrow. But, but, but I think when somebody, actually tells you, like, this is your timeline, you start to live life very differently. You start to see things very differently, no pun intended. And you start to realize that, um, you know, all of the things that you were sort of putting off to tomorrow and all the things that you find uh, as being important you know, uh, or you assigned a certain level of importance to are suddenly you're questioning that you're like, is that really important? And should I be putting this off until tomorrow? Uh, you know, and so for me, it was like really also the fear. Initially, I dropped into fear, of course, and, and anxiety about like, will I be able to see my son again, like his face? Will I be able to, you know, read a book? Will I be just basic things will we take for granted? I think we really do until we lose our senses we really take them for granted we you know whether it's our hearing whether it's our eyesight um anything and so you know and a lot of people i know who had covid right lost their taste and their smell which and and they were like this is so weird it's so bizarre but it's like it's like these two senses that we don't really ever think of until we don't have them and then we're like god it's so weird to function without you're eating something and you can only have the texture, but you can't actually taste what it tastes like. Right. Mm. So, yeah. So, so essentially, you know, I, I wound up really again, using that, um, as a point of kind sight, as a point of like, just an aha moment, a pivot point for myself to realize that, um, I am not guaranteed anything. And that because of that, I have to show up every single day as the best version of myself that I could be in that moment, right? Knowing that I'm gonna to accumulate tools over time, knowing that I'm not perfect, knowing that I make mistakes, knowing that I, I might um hurt people along the way and 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 have to certainly apologize and but but really trying to just every single day improve myself as a person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, this is so powerful, Shelley. And and just for the record now, you were 27 when this happened and now you're how old and your son is?
1: I'm 44 and my son is 19.
0: Yes. And I can awesome. still
1: see right eye. Uh my left eye actually am uh vision impaired. And so, um, and that happened a couple of years ago and it was strange because I think people felt worse for me than I felt for myself. (laughs) You know, everybody was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry that this happened. And I was like, I know I should feel worse than I do, but I have been like prepared for this. Like I've literally been preparing for this moment and, um, you know, it's, it's going to take me a while to recalibrate and to be able to like do the things that I like to do. Right. Because my equilibrium, once you kind of lose, um, whether it's hearing or your, your eyesight or something like that, you wind up, um, having to recalibrate like your balance, you know, or like, um, for a while I was afraid to drive a car because like, I, was like worried that I would like clip somebody on my left side, you know? Um, But now all I want to tell everybody is stay off the roads when I'm in your town. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm, I'm, I'm driving a car and uh, I figure, you know, I'm originally, you know, I lived in Florida for many years. And so I figured if like these 85 year olds in Florida are driving these giant Cadillacs and all you could see is like their the top of their heads and their hands on the steering wheel with this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I'm certainly okay to drive. Through. You're
0: certainly okay to drive and you're driving us forward in a really big way towards change, Shelley, and and transformation and kindness and love. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, as we come to a close here at the kingdom, we do something pretty much in every single session, which is a practice and we also do an action. And I wanted to combine the two here because I think you have something that's really so incredible that, I just want to give people kind of the tip of the iceberg here so if have a practical takeaway. But in your book, you guide us through the importance of creating what's called a self-care plan. But if you could just guide us through a little bit of an experience, and I know there's many versions of this, of
1: how we can even yeah.
0: start to create a self-care plan in our lives and why that's important.
1: Well, so you know, I think that in our minds, we we know what uh, self care practices work for us, right? Whether it's meditation, whether it's yoga, whether it's just going for a walk, whether it's. Sitting down with a cup of tea or in silence or with a friend and having a conversation. And there's on and on. I mean, you could go on and on in terms of like how we can replenish ourselves. But what happens is that oftentimes it, when our amygdalas get hijacked, when we're in the moment of like, oh my God, my like top just flipped off and like I just don't know what to do you are like panic, panicking, you know, you're in this mode of like, again, that fight, flight, freeze, which we've been conditioned to. And you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling so overwhelmed. And then we make bad decisions, right? We turn to like low hanging fruit of like, I'm going to just eat more, or I'm going to drink, or I'm just going to sit around and just completely like, you know, do nothing. And it's exactly the opposite of what it is that we should be doing. And so having a formalized self-care plan is the way I view it is like having um, that fire extinguisher in the uh, glass box and it says, like, in case of emergency break glass. Right, And so formalizing the plan basically just means that you are going to, number one, write down the plan. And you can literally Google self-care plan templates. And there are hundreds of templates to choose from. So if you're a visual person. There are hundreds of different kind of visual exercises and charts and graphs, et cetera. You can use different colors. If you're a list person that likes Excel spreadsheets, there's versions for you, you know, and on and on. And so that's number one. So, write, create a self-care plan. And, you know, the, the second thing is, is that we create the self-care plan once we actually create a formalized version of it, we have to share it with some, somebody, at least one other person in a formalized way. Because creating it and just sticking it in our junk drawer in the kitchen, or like, you know, under a stack of books or the mail that's come in is like futile. Because again, when, you're need, when you need it the most, you're not gonna be looking at it, right? So you share it with somebody, there's a level of accountability you become more, you're held accountable, and you also are able to then identify the things that are obstacles. What are the obstacles that are going to be preventing you from actually enacting these self-care items that are on your list? And so what I could tell you is that when I sat down to actually create a self-care plan for myself, and I wound up sharing it with other people after failing to enact it myself at the time that I was a single mother, I, I shared it with a bunch of girlfriends and I said, look, I'm miserably failing. I have all these health issues. I'm a single mom. I'm working full time. Like there's just not enough time in a day. Like I'm suffering from time poverty in a very massive way. And I, I don't know what to do because I'll never get better if I'm, if I completely continue in the cycle, you know, and I, once I shared that plan with, with people and said that these are the things that I really want to try to do on a weekly basis for myself, my self-care community, as I call them, right? My community of care, my safety net was able to just come around and say, okay, let's go through each thing and identify the actual obstacles or the barriers that are preventing you from doing that." If that. Is, is it money? Is it training? Is it time? What is it? And, you know, just a p- simple example that people may be able to relate to, like, I couldn't get a workout in or like actually be physically fit enough or find the time to do anything for myself because the morning routine, again, as a single mom trying to get my son dressed and fed and get my lunch made and get out the door in time to get him to school, to then drive to work at the time. Right. Which was like a 45 minute drive for me from his drop off point was like impossible. I was like, there's no way I can wake up any earlier. Like then I'd be waking up at four in the morning. Like, and that's, Also, then I'm sleep deprived, right? So my girlfriends actually came together and they said, okay, well, we're going to create a carpool. And even though it's out of our way, we're going to, we're going to drive Liam to school on Mondays and Wednesdays. And would that, you know, be helpful for you. And of course it was, you know, suddenly I was able to just wake up, stay in my pajamas, get him ready for school, be more present for that experience with him in the morning Put him in one of their cars and then suddenly I had like literally an hour and change to just focus on myself and take it slow and like meditate without like interruption and, you know, go for a walk and just, you know, spend time doing what I needed to do to replenish my soul and um you know that wouldn't have happened if i didn't share the plan and what happened was once i did that and i shared my plan and they were able to sort of like help me with different things on the list or hold me accountable by just simply sending me a text message or calling me and saying how was your meditation today uh i don't really do it you know and and i like many people i'm sure that are on this call have a much easier time disappointing myself than I do disappointing other people. So I never wanted to disappoint my friends. So of course I always stayed on the ball just so that I could be like, oh, it was great, I did this, you know? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, it's like that gave them the courage to also then create their own plans and to share their plans because they had different obstacles. And so we wound up creating this really beautiful community that was really centered around... Uh, you know, a community of mutual aid, a community where every single person had something that they could offer and every single person had things that they needed. And we were all able to like be the puzzle pieces that kind of completed the puzzles for each other. And it was beautiful because it also removed one of the most difficult aspects of um, life, I think, which is asking for help. Because when you're in these types of safety nets and communities of care, you don't have to ask for help yeah. because you're constantly sharing your 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 self help, you know, your self care. Excuse me, um, you know, list, and you're also constantly sharing your obstacles, and somebody will invariably always say to you, "Well, I can help with that obstacle."
0: This is beautiful, and I just want to. This is amazing, and it's so. This is what I love about your work and your book. Sit down to rise up, everybody. How radical self-care can change the world. Shelly's holding it up. Yes. The only reason I'm not holding it up is because when I was with her in New York, I didn't grab my book. (laughs) and so I'm getting mine just like all of you this week on the 26th. And number one is creating the plan. What are the things that you need that help you stay well and that help you take care of yourself? And number two is who can you share it with that will hold you accountable and be checking in with you and holding that space. And one of the things that I love that I hear Shelly sharing all the time is like, you don't, it doesn't have to be just the closest people to you. You can reach out in your network a little bit beyond just like you had other moms that were at the school that your son went to, you know what I mean? And then really identifying what are the obstacles that might keep you from reaching some of your self-care goals And then looking at who you can reach out to that might be able to fill in some of those obstacles. And that leads us to the vulnerable point, which is asking for help, which is a really Mm -hmm. big deal for so many of us. But I guarantee you all, if you do that, you will make a big impact in your life. So I want you all to just type in and or write down what are some of the things that you do to take care of yourself? Who are some people you can share this plan with? And what are some of the obstacles that might stand in your way? I'd love to hear this so that we as a community can be here with each other and actually help connect and remove some of those obstacles for one another. Shelly. Beautiful. I want to thank you so much for taking the time. You are on a whirlwind right now and so busy. Shelly was on national TV just the other day on the Tamron Hall show and has been doing all these crazy, amazing things. And so I'm really grateful that you spent the time to come to our little community. (laughs) I'm kidding. Our amazing community. um, Amazing Yeah. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, we close out every single one of our sessions with a prayer before I do that, everybody go pre-order Shelly's book that comes out October 26th on Tuesday, depending on when you're listening to this. And Shelly, I would be so grateful if you would close us out our community with a prayer.
1: Yeah, I would love to. And I actually will read a, a prayer that is, uh, from the old Testament, from the Talmud which is the Oral Torah, the Oral Testament. Um, And it's, it's the last quote that's in my book. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now, love mercy now, walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it, onward.
0: Onward, onward! Thank you so much, Shelly, for being. Thank
1: you. I love you. I love you so much. You are uh, my soul brother, and I'm so happy that you're in my life. And I'm so happy that, by virtue of that, the extension of you, this community, uh, is in my orbit. And I really look forward to um, hearing from all of you about your self care plans and how it's going and. Um, hope to hear your feedback about my book as well. Thank you.
0: Shelly, thank you so, so much. And everybody, Shelly, sit down to Rise Up, her book, again, How Radical Self-Care Can Change the World. Please take some time to go get this book. It will change the trajectory of your life, I promise you. I wanna thank you, Kingdom family, for coming here. It feels so good to have a new session that we get to dive into together. I love you. I thank you. I honor you. Thank you for holding this community down as we plan for our next steps. And remember the most important thing, we rise together. I love you. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Kingdom Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to rate it or subscribe. But most importantly, to send this episode to a friend or to someone you love. The only way we're going to see change in this world is by each of us spreading messages of hope into the corners of the world where only you can reach. So send this today to someone who needs it. I'm sure they'll thank you for it. This is Justin Michael Williams, signing out. I love you. And I'll meet you right here in this special place in our next episode, where we rise together.